Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Jack Baca and I'm happy to welcome you to our May 2nd worship here at the Village Church in Rancho Santa Fe. I hope that wherever you are, you are prepared to learn more about the love of the Lord and his leadership in your life. As we continue to gather and settle for just a few moments, let me remind you that in the month of May, we are celebrating Undy Sunday. Normally, that's just one Sunday, but we're going to celebrate the whole month by inviting all of you to bring brand new underwear and socks to the church so that we may then distribute them through our New Day ministries to folks who need such things. So all throughout the month of May, it is Undy Sunday. If you prefer not to go shopping, then simply send in gobs and gobs of cash and we'll take care of the shopping for you. Next Sunday is Mother's Day and we're inviting all of you to send in photographs of your mothers that we can then run in our online worship as a way of celebrating them. So please send them to the email address that's listed on the screen right now and we'll celebrate Mother's Day. Today is a Communion Sunday, and so just as I have prepared our Communion elements for later on in worship, let me invite you to be sure that you have your Communion elements ready for that moment in time when we celebrate together in the Lord's Supper. All the other information about what's going on in the life of the church is available to you on our church website or through our regular weekly emails. You can sign up for those emails or check into the website using the addresses that are on the screen right now. We're here to worship God, so let's be called together in worship in these timeless words from the 116th Psalm. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Friends, let's worship God.
by the grace of God do we have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Yet we oftentimes fail to do what is right. And so we're given an opportunity individually and as a family of God to confess our sins and be assured of God's forgiveness. Please join me in prayer. Forgive our sins, Lord, all of them, sins of actions and sins of omissions, sins that have hurt others and sins that have hurt ourselves, sins of body and sins of soul, sins of thought and sins of expression, sins of neglect and sins of intention, sins of youth and sins of maturity. Whatever form they take, we know that we are responsible. So we ask for your pardon and cleansing through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Hear now these words of assurance. As far as the East is from the West, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. I declare to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Amen. Having been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, we are also reconciled one to another. May the peace of Christ be with you. Amen. Hey.
end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like Kids Village and happy Sunday. Today is the first Sunday of the month of May and this month we're going to be talking about the word commitment. In your lessons, commitment is defined as having a plan and sticking with that plan. But how does this relate to our faith with God? In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25, it talks about how our faith can often be referred to as what it's like to run a race. When people are getting ready to run a race, they're preparing their bodies, they're training really hard, they're trying to eat right, so that by the time the race comes, they're prepared and they can run it well. This is how God wants us to look at our faith. He wants us to look at our faith like a race and that we're trying to run that race as best as we can. The encouragement for you all this morning is to know that God is with you every step of the way. Faith is not something that we have to do by ourselves. And God wants to walk alongside us through life to teach us what it really means to run this race well. We hope that you are encouraged by this, and I know that a lot of you can probably relate because you're getting back into sports and all of your extra activities, and this is something that will hit home for a lot of you, that when we're training and we're preparing, that ultimately we will see the reward of all of those things. And our reward as Christians is that we get to have that close relationship with God. So our hope is that you are reminded of that this morning, and we will see you back here next week. Bye-bye. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you 
this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. This is the time in our worship service where we present our prayers of intercession and prayers of thanksgiving, knowing that in Jesus Christ, we find our hope, we find our life, we find our peace. 
I'll offer a pastoral prayer on our behalf and then we'll close with the words of the Lord's Prayer. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are so patient with us. You brought us through Easter when we rejoice at the news of the resurrection and the reality of the empty tomb. You were with us in the upper room when we remained behind locked doors due to fear, doubt, and anxiety. You walked alongside us as we returned to the day today and tried to put this moment into its right perspective. As a memory of the Easter moments starts to fade, we ask that you return to us as fully and as completely as you were that day, because each day we live and move and have our being in your resurrection power and life. Help us to make the space for you in every portion of our lives, even this very day. Help us to find room for your love and your presence in our places of work, in our homes, in our schools, and most importantly, in all those places we try to hide from you. We know that you are chasing after us and we ask that you be with us and that you help us. Forgive us when we aren't always ready for you and don't always see you or feel your presence. Forgive us when we see Easter as a Sunday, not as a season or a way of life or a fresh start. We acknowledge that we let so many things crowd in on our lives and too often we let these distractions blur out our awareness of your presence. Even though for some of us it's hard to see the risen Jesus Christ, we have the assurance of your presence and your love with us. Remind us to stand up and rejoice in this fact. Let us embrace that truth with our hearts. We face each day not sure that we dare to believe in your presence with us. We hear the words of our hymns and our prayers and we still let doubts and fears enter our lives. We want to believe, we need to believe, yet it's just too easy to believe the garbage of the world around us or to rely on the things it provides first. And so we come to you, Lord, with all of our fears and doubts, our joys and sorrows, our longings and dreams. We come broken, but willing to be fixed. We bring these things to you in hope that you will hear our prayers and respond to our cries. We pray that you will peel away the scar tissue that surrounds our hearts. As we do, we bring to you those people whom we love, for whom realities of loneliness, pain, suffering, grief, and loss seem to abound. We long to be their shoulder to lean on and arms to share. Help us to be the face and heart of Jesus to those who hurt. And at the same time, and with the same assurance, we raise to you those who have rejoiced in newfound faith, who have reconciled with loved ones, who have survived tragedy and sorrow, who are happy and blessed, and we want to dance in celebration for their blessings. For we ask these things as an Easter people in the name of the one who was raised, that we might have eternal life. We use the words that he taught each of us to use in our prayers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Every day 
we go to war again we assume we know so much more than them before we hear what they have to say headline breaks and we start to hate again calling them names again we give our peace away I hope they see it Cause I wanna see it I hope we believe it I wanna see I wanna see the love All around you All around you I wanna know I wanna know that love It's all around you It's all
Let us begin our time in the scriptures with a prayer for illumination. Please join me in prayer. Calm us now, O Lord, with a quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. First, a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And a reading from the letter to the Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will pay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. This is the word of the Lord. I want to share with you for a few moments about the backdrop that I have with me today in worship. There are some very special items there that have a great deal of meaning to me, and I think also meaning for our time together as we dive into the Word. One of the things that I have is a set of 20 millimeter shells that come from the Phalanx anti-missile gun that is installed on guided missile cruisers of the United States Navy. Another is a five inch shell that is also fired from the deck of guided missile cruisers in the United States Navy. And the final thing is a single shell that I have here that I got a couple of years ago when our choir toured the beaches of Normandy in France. I was there when this 20 millimeter and this five inch gun were fired, but I was not there when the gun that fired this bullet was fired. To tell you the truth, I don't know if the bullet from this shell actually was fired in anger or perhaps in practice. 
Perhaps it went harmlessly into the sea or into a target, but there is the possibility that the shell from this bullet harmed or even killed someone. I have these with us today in worship because these are implements of war. And what I want to talk about today is what the scriptures talk about. We're going to talk about loving our enemies. We are ending our look at the way of Jesus in a wayward world in just a couple of weeks. And as we come close to the end now, we need to continue to remember, if you will, that, that what God desires for us is that we would be transformed into the image of true humanity that we see represented in Jesus. We are not to be conformed to the ways of the world, the distorted, destructive, and dysfunctional ways of the world. And today we come to what, frankly, is a really hard place. A place where we are taught and encouraged and even commanded to bless those who persecute us. Or in my summary of it, to love our enemies. Where are we going to start as we think about this call and claim of God for us to be transformed into those who love our enemies? The best place I know to start is with Jesus as he is hanging on the cross. And in Luke's report of the story, as Jesus looks down upon those who have just killed him, and he says to them, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What better example can there be for us of loving enemies, of blessing those who persecute? We can listen to Jesus' words and we can contemplate that image of him on the cross and, and we can dismiss it. We can say, well, that was Jesus, and only Jesus could do that. After all, he was God. We can also choose to ignore it and simply say, well, you know, that's just unrealistic. That's romantic. And probably Jesus himself never even said that. But truth be told, we have to take it seriously. If we take anything seriously about what Jesus said and what Jesus did, Certainly, early Christians took it seriously. We know that because of many texts, especially this one from Romans. Let's think about that Romans passage again. We are given lengthy counsel about how Christians are meant to treat each other within the life of the church, and also how Christians are meant to treat each other in the life of the world. Sometimes we think it would be great if the only people that we ever had to interact with were fellow believers in Jesus. But let me tell you, that's not always a piece of cake. And certainly the reality is, especially in today's world more and more, in a way as it was in the world of the first century, Christians must react with a whole world full of people who do not believe and do not act in the same way that we do. That's what Paul is talking about as he's thinking, especially about 
blessing those who persecute us. Paul himself, of course, well knew what persecution was. He knew what it was to encounter opposition, anger, even being arrested and jailed and tortured, and then later he would know what it was to be martyred. But still, Paul says that if we are going to be transformed into the way of Jesus, into the image of Jesus, then we will bless our persecutors. We will seek peace with all people. We will shun revenge as a way of responding. Indeed, vengeance belongs to God, Paul says. Our approach toward our enemies, toward our persecutors, should be to care for them to bless them with food and water, to burn away in them anything that would stand between us and them. That cryptic little phrase in this particular passage of being nice to enemies and loving those who are persecuting us, and in that way we put burning coals on their heads. Sometimes people think, wow, that's cool, I'll be great to them, and then they'll burn up. No, 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 that's not what it's about. That image means to tell us that that our love will burn away the hatred that others might have for us. The sum of all of it, of course, is that we are meant to love our enemies. There it is, plain and simple enough. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul says. That's what the scriptures say. But how does it work? Why would Jesus say what he said? Why would the church agree with Jesus? Well, as we've done in so many of these messages, let's think more deeply about this particular aspect of the way of Jesus in the world and how it actually works and what it is meant to lead us toward. Number one, I think that loving enemies reflects the character and the nature of God. You see, we believe that God the Creator stamped His will and His desire into all of creation, and we are meant to act accordingly. We are meant to express that. God certainly is one who loves enemies. Now, I know some of you will immediately point me, especially to passages in Scripture where God says, I'm going to destroy those who hate me. I'm going to destroy those who are against me. And yeah, there's plenty of those Scriptures in the Old Testament. But you can't take those alone. You have to look at the whole story. And at the end of the story, we see that God really is about the business of destroying evil destroying anything that would harm the goodness of his creation, and that means destroying evil in us. God, for the sake of his love of the whole creation, came to die for the world, to give his only son, to give himself for the sake of loving enemies and reconciling enemies towards himself. That's who God is not one who sits in haughty judgment over the world, ready to destroy it, but one who finally destroys himself for the sake of the world that he loves. And so that leads us to my second observation, that for you and me to love our enemies means that we will reflect who God is, and in that way we go beyond whatever our own personal response might be, and we respond to others with God's 
response. You see, Christians are those who have learned to trust God more than we trust ourselves. We have learned that we need to seek a higher way, sometimes a way that seems foreign to us, a way that is difficult for us. It goes against the way that we create for ourselves. That's what the whole chapter of this letter to the Romans is talking about. That's really what the whole of Scripture is talking about that we need to relearn who we are. In the garden, we had it good, but we chose to leave. We chose to seek our own way. So now we have to learn another way, a way of humility, a way of community, a way of accepting our own sinfulness, a way of receiving God's grace, a way of being allowed to start over when we have failed. That's how God treats us, and that's how we want to be treated, and that, therefore, is the way we will seek to treat each other, even those whom we call our enemies. When you think about it, and this is my third point, loving enemies protects us from all the harmful ways that we follow. Loving enemies is the antidote, if you will. It is the solution to the destructive ways of the world in which we so often participate. We're taught to leave the business of revenge to God. There's so much of literature, so much of theater, so much of poetry and art that that wants to talk about revenge. We have been wronged, therefore we will take it out on the ones who wronged us. But, But the scriptures counsel that revenge belongs only to God. Why is that? Well, our revenge is only destructive. It's never redemptive. Our revenge is based in our own pride and our hurt and our anger. Our revenge expresses a judgment that, frankly, we are not qualified to make. Every aspect of the human being is touched by sin Even that aspect that we want to believe is righteous anger and righteous judgment. That's not to say that there is no such thing as righteous judgment, but it's only God who is truly righteous, who is able to execute that final judgment. Therefore, only God is able to exact vengeance in a way that redeems and renews. That leads me to my fourth point then, that we are called to love enemies as part of who we are and part of the pathway that we follow because that's the only path ultimately that leads to peace. If we do not learn to love our enemies, if we do not learn to love those who are sometimes in opposition to us, those who get in our way, those who make us angry, those who do not act according to the way we want them to act, then in the way of all human relationships, ultimately we will end up with the whole world as our enemy. Think about even the very best relationships that you have in life with the people whom you love the most. Even those relationships require forgiveness and understanding and accommodation and seeking common ground and common good. Think of what it would be like 
If every time someone said something that upset us, every time someone did something that was perhaps unfair or unkind to us, and they became our enemy, it would not be very long before everybody in the world was the enemy of everybody else. Everyone has the potential to become our enemy. And so the only way to peace is to treat everyone as a potential friend and then to work toward that friendship. Now, of course, I realize that's hard to do. Of course, I realize that sometimes it becomes impossible to do. But my fifth point is this that we must learn to work harder at getting along than we work at fighting and winning over all of our enemies. Does it not make sense that if the way to true peace, the way to true life is to make friends rather than enemies, that we would work harder at making friends than enemies? I have always been and always will be a supporter of the military because there are those times and extreme examples where sometimes we have to protect ourselves, to protect the common good. We have built incredible military machines, impressive, expensive, and as I said, perhaps sometimes required, but... Do we spend more on making war than on making peace? That doesn't make any sense. Let's get away from warfare and out-and-out -out fighting. Let's talk about politics for a moment. The business of politics is supposed to be about the art of getting along with each other and not about the art of winning at all costs. Politics seems to have become a game of winners and losers, not everybody finding a way to win together. Should we not invest more energy in learning how to win together than in simply learning how to beat the person with whom we might disagree? What about in our interpersonal relationships? Some relationships are based on power, based on control. I see this all the time in marriages and in other kinds of relationships. One has power over another. One seeks to exert control over the other, but that doesn't work. Not long term, not for the health of everybody in the relationship. Should we not spend more time and energy learning how to love each other, learning about mutuality and respect and all of those things that go into a healthy relationship? Maybe we need to learn to give food and water, literally and figuratively, first in every relationship before we go on to fight with each other. In just a couple of weeks, I'm going to be taking yet another trip into the Middle East. This time, we'll spend a couple of weeks in Lebanon. As you know that I've learned there in several years of visiting now, I've learned about more about the, the thousands and thousands of years of history 
of strife and warfare and domination of one group over another. And if there's one thing I've learned is that it doesn't work well. It serves no one interests. I'm not picking on the Middle East because the whole world, frankly, is that way. Either we learn as human beings to be at peace with each other, or we will forever be at war with each other. Not just as nations, not just as groups of people, however you want to group us, not just as individuals, but, but in the totality of our existence. I'm happy to say, and that's one of the reasons I go, I'm happy to say that there are millions of Christians and other people of goodwill in the Middle East who are working so hard to learn to love those who have been enemies because they realize that doesn't work. We need to learn that lesson again in our country. We need to learn it everywhere, continually, all the time. What is God's answer to all of this? What does God do about all of this? Well, we have to remember that God died for us in order to be with us and in order to call us to a different way of being. We have gathered around the table today to celebrate God's sacrificial gift of himself in his Son. We gather with bread today. This particular bread is made up of two different colors of flour. One is mostly white, one is mostly brown. They make a beautiful pattern together, don't you think? We gather today using a special cup. This is called the quaich. The quaich is a traditional Scottish cup that has two handles on it. And in ancient Scotland, when two warring clans would come together, the host chieftain would pour some drink into this cup and then offer it with both of his hands on these handles to his guest. It was a cup of peace, a cup of welcome, a cup of community, a cup of reconciliation. The reason it has two handles and it's meant to be handled this way is so that you don't have one hand on your sword. No, you offer it in peace. And so now ministering in Jesus' name, let me invite you to prepare your elements and to come before the Lord because Jesus invites you to share in this feast, to share in his sacrifice, to share in his love, to share in his life of seeking peace with all, of blessing and loving enemies. We remember that on the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke that bread and he said, This is my body that is broken for you. Do this remembering me. And then in the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the sign of the new covenant that is sealed in my blood. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. And so now I invite you to partake with me in this holy meal.
Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this supper that we have shared together in the power and reality of your Spirit. We thank you that in this supper you renew and strengthen us again and remind us of whom we love and serve and remind us of the life that we are called to live as those because of our trust in you. Trust you also when you call us to bless those who fight against us, to love our enemies, and in that way to make them our friends. Lord God, may your whole world one day be filled with those committed to this truth and living by its power. Until that day, give us your presence, your power, your blessing to follow your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. This flowering cactus behind me is a plant that I brought with me from my home in New Mexico, not far from that mountain where I recorded a message for you just a couple of weeks ago. You know, cactus is a very interesting plant. It has beautiful, beautiful flowers, but it's also protected, of course, by very sharp needles. You have to get past the needles in order to see the beauty and to behold the beauty. And maybe that's the way it is in life. We have to learn to get past the anger, the strife, the hatred, the warfare that's inside of us and inside of all of our relationships in some way or shape or form. We have to learn together to behold the beauty of God and the beauty that's in each other 
And in finding that common ground then to find ways to bless and not curse each other. It's a choice we make every day, a choice at which we sometimes fail, a choice that we can only realize as we work together. May God bless us. May God keep us. May God protect us. May God give us his peace that passes all understanding so that we might know that peace and share it with others as we help to make God's world in the place he meant it to be from the beginning, a place that blesses all with beauty and power and love. Amen. Thank you.